Justin Sua won a World Series in 2018, and he has a ring to show for it. But he wasn't out on the diamond. Instead, Sua had the unique role of preparing the players of the Boston Red Sox mentally for the biggest games of their lives. Justin Sua is a major league mental skills coach who now works for the Tampa Bay Rays. He previously worked as a mental skills coordinator for the Boston Red Sox and mental performance coach for the NFL's Cleveland Browns. A former BYU pitcher, he earned his master's in sports psychology from the University of Utah. He and his wife, Melissa, are the parents of three children. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am thrilled to have my friend Justin Sua on this week's episode. Justin, welcome. Thanks a lot, Morgan. Looking forward to being with you. Well, Justin, you are one of my favorite people to interview, and I have to warn you and listeners that I have been sick, and so I sound a little bit like a man. Hopefully, you'll forgive me. You'll feel like you're talking to one of your athletes, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Male athletes, just kidding. Um, Well, first of all, I haven't talked to you since the Red Sox won the World Series. You're not with the Red Sox anymore, but what was it like to be a part of a World Series winning team? Oh my goodness. And to, to, to have the vision that you're going to go out there and you're going to win the championship in a sport, in, in, at the highest level, at professional sports, the goal is always to, to be the last team to win at the end of the season. And, and it has been such a long journey. I think in 2014 or 15 or so, we actually had one of the worst records in all of baseball. And then to see us just kind of slowly climb back and to develop young players and to see those young players turn into the stars on the team. It was, uh, it was surreal actually. And, uh, it was just, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to, to experience and to be a part of. Yeah. Well, and I can only imagine the role that you played. I mean, obviously you're not out there on the field, but to recognize growth in the player's mentality and kind of developing that winning spirit, that has to be pretty incredible to witness. Yeah, because a lot of times, and it is, you you said it perfectly, it what's neat to be part of a team, everyone has their role. And from the strength and conditioning coach to the athletic trainer to the hitting coach, the pitching coach, even the clubhouse managers who, who every, and to be, I'm so grateful to have had a small part in this huge cog to help, even if it was just 1%, half a percent uh, to help one player at some time, both on or off the field. And it was, uh, it, it was really neat to see and it all uh, uh, come to, to get at the end of the day, it was all put together to, to be able to hold up a trophy for the entire organization. What it was an amazing, it was amazing. Yeah. That's like, it's like the stuff dreams are made of. I feel like it's like everybody dreams of, of being a part of something like that. And maybe not in the capacity, you know, in your situation, you were a baseball player. And so maybe you dream of it in a different way, but what an incredible experience to, to be able to have. Yeah. It's so funny because I grew up wanting to be in the major leagues and wanting to win a world series and wanting to be uh, on that field and, and doing that. But it's funny how the, the, the things work out and, and uh, was able to do it a different way. Never would have thought that that's how I would win a World Series ring is not often. <laughs> I never thought that was even a possibility. And so uh, it was neat to see when you look at the World Series now, my World Series ring now, you're just like, wow, who would have who thought? And uh, 
And it's uh, it's funny to share that with my parents and those who were with me, especially when I was younger and always wanted to be a World Series champion. It's uh, funny to see how it worked out a different way than I thought. For sure. Well, now that we've got that out of the way, I think you have such a cool job. And whether it's with Tampa Bay or the Red Sox, I think your job is like the kind of job that grown men would pay big money to have, much less get paid to have. (laughs) So you are a mental performance and leadership coach. For those who aren't familiar with your story, tell us how someone gets a job that cool. Yeah, well, uh, well, it, it, I I love going to work every day. It is uh, I pinch myself sometimes thinking how 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 did I get this job? How did this happen? And <laughs> I will always go back to see the journey. There are a lot of different ways. It's an, it's an interesting field, really, the field of sports psychology. And uh, without uh, just getting too deep into the weeds, there are different different ways and paths you can go. You can go into clinical psychology or and uh, licensed therapy or, or, or psychiatry, which is obviously more pathological, more uh, more clinical. And, and then I chose throughout a performance psychology, which is more dealing with performance, confidence, focus, energy management, uh, regulating your emotions under pressure that doesn't deal with necessarily uh, depression and anxiety um, and, and so forth. We have clinical psychologists to help us with that. Uh, it all started, I was, I, was a, I was a sports broadcaster going to BYU to get my degree in sports broadcasting uh, by Sikahema, who's known in the church, uh, who was the first one who introduced me into that field. And while I was playing baseball at BYU, was getting my degree to go that way. And after my internship with NBC Sports Los Angeles, my wife and my my son, Jerem, we were in LA and I decided, you know what? I don't want to do broadcasting. I want to teach. And so I actually moved back to Utah to be a seminary teacher. So I was a seminary teacher for the, for the youth of, of the church for five years. When I got my master's in sports psychology, while I was teaching uh, simultaneously, once I got my master's, I left teaching seminary to open up my own consulting practice. And uh, then from there, worked in, started to work one-on-one with individuals. And uh, a friend of yours and mine, Chelsea Hightower, I had the chance to, to, to team up with her. And then from there, worked with soldiers in the Army. And then from there, went to a place called the IMG Academy, where I worked with high-level youth athletes, uh, training their mindset, and then helping the parents to help their children train um, in elite mindset. And then from there, the Red Sox called and then the Cleveland Browns and then the Tampa Rays. And so it's been quite a whirlwind. But uh, to keep it, if anyone's interested, I would Google sports psychology and look into uh, getting a, a master's and a doctorate in, in, in performance or sports psychology. That's, that's, the, that's the way to get in. Yeah. Well, I think it's so interesting looking at how – in many situations, I think this is true, even in my own life, where you have every intention of kind of going into a different field, but then stuff happens and and you find yourself somewhere completely different than where you imagined, but also somewhere that you know God led you to. Oh. And I think we see that with your story for sure. Uh, absolutely. It, it was it was so funny and not, not funny, but but as I'm driving... I am working for the military in Fort at base station at Fort Sam Houston in, in in San Antonio, and got this phone call from the IMG Academy, 
and I'm driving on the freeway and we are comfortable there and, and doing this and this was going to take our family on a completely different path, still in sports psychology. But I, I remember just kind of questioning everything, wondering well, what's going to happen? How's it going to go? IMG is bringing me to, to Florida. And, and it was my mom who, who over this told me, she goes, you need to remember that IMG is not taking you to Florida. The Lord's taking you to Florida. And that was in that moment, helped me keep things in perspective and remember and, and realize that, yeah, you're just as you said, the Lord is shaping and creating paths and opening doors and closing doors. There have been many things that I didn't get that I thought I was going to do. And a lot of times I've, I've learned that lessons by by looking backwards and saying, wow, had I gotten what I wanted at that moment, that wouldn't have provided, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do what I'm doing now. And so, uh, so yes, that has been so true in my life as well. Yeah. Can you give people an example of one of those doors that kind of closed that led you to something else? Yeah. So what I wanted, so growing up at first, I mean, it was, there have been a number of different doors that have closed uh, from not getting into a baseball university I wanted to get into, uh, playing playing college baseball, uh, whether with Cal State Fullerton or, or USC or UCLA, those big schools, not getting drafted in the professional baseball. Uh, that was a, I was absolutely crushed uh, that that didn't happen. I applied for a PhD at BYU, a number of different PhDs, but the one at BYU in religious education was the one that particularly crushed me, uh, especially because that's the route I thought I was going to go. I wanted to be a, a religious educator and, uh, and do that and to not get accepted there that would that crushed me and and numerous uh some teams that i that i've uh, oh that when i was at the img academy i was i was going to go jump on to a company and be their mental skills coach for a company at the end of the day they're like no you're not a good fit for us and that was crushing and, and, and at the moments and i thought wow and it had any one of those things and then even fast forward to closer nfl teams major league baseball teams to sit down and interview and to look the general manager the owner in the eyes and then for them to say no no we're not you're, you're not going to be right for us yeah i've had a lot of doors closed on on, on in my face of thinking thinking that that was the direction i was going to go almost counting the eggs before they hatch and I'm so happy and so grateful that uh, that some of those that, that they didn't open. Who would have who would have thought that that would have led to this moment? I can go back and say, "Wow, if that would have happened. I wouldn't have been here. I wouldn't have been here. Wouldn't have met my wife. Wouldn't have been with the Red Sox. Wouldn't have been with the Browns." And so, uh, so yeah, I've had a lot of lot of a uh, lot of opportunities to to learn from closed doors. Amazing. I think it's so cool to listen to you talk about those things because it's like those are like pretty strong forms of rejection. And yet you've taken those and they've turned into such positive things. And I think as people are listening to this episode, I'm sure that they can hear in your voice some of the things about you, Justin, that lend themselves to succeeding in this type of capacity. But what about your personality do you think has led to being so successful in your career? Oh, my personality. I, I think just naturally, uh, just growing up, one thing that you learn in behavioral uh, psychology and, and, and human perform performances is just the importance of, of your environment when you're growing up. And a lot of them, I come from par parents who, my father was an immigrant from, from American Samoa. Uh, my mom didn't graduate high school and, and they ended up 
my father ended up going and playing professional baseball. They ended up creating and running a multi-million dollar business. Once again, my mom not having having graduated high school, she was the uh, co-owner and VP of, of sales and finance. And my father was uh, didn't graduate college. And here they are having a 150 employee company and, and, and really teaching us kids just a, a lot of powerful, important values, both in life and also obviously from, from the gospel as well. But I think one thing that I learned and I try to adopt and copy from them is, is, is number one, this perpetual optimism. They were just always positive. The, the, their outlook on life, no matter how bad things were and how bad things got, they just knew that things were going to work out for, for, for our good, our family's good. And I think that's something that I have copied and adopted and absorbed just naturally, not, not, not because of my degree and not because of, uh, not because of, um, of anything I've read necessarily or studied. Um, another one is just the capacity to love. I think just my parents, just because of obviously being members of the church and and their testimony of, of, of the Lord and, and, and just it, naturally the Polynesian people and the Latin people, Hispanic people are just tend to be lovers of people. And we'll give the shirt off your very back. And I think uh, that, that my capacity to love, I just, just really essentially care about people and how, and how they're doing. And then uh, I think another just thing off the top of my head is I'm super curious. I'm really, really curious on, on about people and what makes them happy, what makes them successful, and and not I I'll, I'll ask I ask a lot of questions. That's the nature of my job, but not in I try not to be a judgmental in, in a judgmental way, nor in a in a in a uh, interrogating type way, but a sincere hey, teach me about your ways. What makes you successful? And I think those three things in particular um, just have just come naturally and based basically, basically just part of my my personality. Yeah. And I think I can definitely see how those things serve you well, regardless of your career. Um, I want to touch on one in particular. You mentioned the capacity to love people. And I have been the recipient of that love from, you mentioned Hispanic culture. I served a Spanish-speaking mission. And literally, a lady that we were teaching gave me the sandals off her feet because I told her that I thought they were cute. <laughs> and wow. so I I think that there is different cultures have a capacity to love. And I definitely think Polynesian culture and Hispanic culture, they are so good at loving. But in your in your career, just in recognizing what we know as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that everyone, and I many, many different religions obviously know this, but we are all children of God. And because of that, there's a certain level of respect and care and kindness that we need to treat each other with. I wondered if you've had opportunities to share your faith and your belief in God, maybe as you're working with these athletes and seeing them as children of God. Have you had opportunities to kind of share those things with anyone in the sports world? Yes, many times actually, and and because this this athlete world is filled with an array of different people uh, performing at the highest level who have just for for a lot of money. Uh, I, the reason I say that because that does give context to to how people view the world and people who are 
who are, are atheist, agnostic. We have members of other faiths. And, and when you're around all of these men all of the time, uh, conversations come up. And you talk about politics, you talk about religion, you talk about the issues in, in, in the world, and, and these conversations do come up. And very many times, very regularly, once you hear, once they find out, where do you go to school, Justin, BYU, it always happens. <laughs> oh, so you must be Mormon. Yeah, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And, and it comes up quite often, whether they're asking questions about the church itself and doctrine, or they're they're curious, uh, they're, 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 they want to talk about prayer or simple basic topics, uh, subjects, uh, prayer, scripture studying, and, uh, and going to church and Sabbath day. And so it comes up very often. I, I have had players, I mean, there have been players, I was on the same team as who are members of the church, and he will allow me to share this. So Nate Orchard uh, played football at the University of Utah. He got injured, and uh, he is he is a member of the church as well. And, um, and him and I were eating breakfast in, in the cafeteria for the Cleveland Browns. He had just got injured. And we don't even really know each other at this time. I just joined the team and we're sitting there and he's telling me about a situation and we, we start talking about the church a little bit and, uh, and it's just him and I, which is very, it's entry interesting because usually it's just not two people at a table. There's filled with, with people. And at this moment, it was just us. And I just felt impressed to let him know, Hey, if, if you need a priesthood blessing, uh, let me know. Let, let me know if, if, you, if you need a priesthood blessing. And he just kind of said, thank you. And wouldn't you know it, a couple of days later, he get a knock on my office and he comes in and he goes, I, I actually would like a blessing. And for, for me to be able to give him a, a blessing of peace and comfort in that moment in my office for the Cleveland Browns was an unbelievable uh, opportunity and experience. And it happened a few oper- uh, moment, a few other occasions after that with other players and uh, two, two of us were administering and it was, it was an incredible experience. But I've, I've talked to players in the dugout about how to pray. And, and one thing I will say is, is my role is not to, not to come out and, and initially come out guns a blazing and, hey, let's talk about prayer, the scriptures. It, the play would be guided by the players. It would always be guided by them. And, and a lot of times I'll ask them the question, what is your anchor? What is your source of happiness, your source in this storm, this, this struggle you're going through? And if they say my faith or if they say Jesus Christ or if they say the gospel, then, and then I'll explore more. What do you mean by that? And they'll talk about scriptures and their, their testimony, their relationship with the Lord and prayer. And that's when we'll get a little bit deeper into um, gospel principles and we'll talk a little bit more about it. Yeah. Well, I would love to be like a fly on the wall in those situations, but I think it's powerful that you recognize that they have to come to you. And I think so many times we're looking for missionary opportunities or opportunities to share our faith and and we we want them so badly that we, sometimes we wait, we don't wait for them to come to us. But I think if our heart is in the right place and we want to share those things for the right reasons, God is going to put those opportunities in our path. I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree with you. And, and I, and I really, and I am a firm uh, believer of, of, I believe, believe it was President Uchtdorf who said, uh, always preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And I, I think I'm just kind of butchering that. Uh, if necessary, use words. But basically, be the example they'll see. And in the pro sports world, you could probably imagine uh, the language is probably a little bit different than you'd see, uh, the, the music to listen to, the topic of conversation. And so it's funny, a, a, a friend of mine who was on the coaching staff, 
uh, for one of the teams I was working with said, you you stick out because you don't cuss, you don't get engaged in these conversations. And so it, being, and we tell our children this all the time, being able to stand alone sometimes, being able, and when you don't do something everybody else does, it, it really it really does stand out. And then you will get those questions, not all the time, but hey, why, why don't you do that? Or, or you are a little bit different, let's talk. And uh, to provide an opportunity to just live a life so that so that it will create some intrigue for people, not for the sole purpose of that, but it, if you live your life a certain way, it can create some intrigue where people start asking you, which will open the door and open give you an opportunity to to share what means mo- what matters most to you. Yeah. Well, now, Justin, I want to kind of shift the conversation. I could talk about sports all day because I love them, but I also think that you are such an expert on mentality. And so I want to take advantage of that while I've got you. You, we mentioned in your bio that you have a podcast yourself where you release daily two to five minute episodes about with, with motivational messages. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you have over 960 now. Yeah, I do. Is that right? Yes. That's unreal. <laughs> I will never have that many episodes of this podcast. Just kidding. <laughs> knock on wood. But why, why have you felt, I feel like there's a lot of work that goes into a podcast. And even though it's their short little bite-sized episodes, that takes work. Why have you felt that that's important? <sighs> People who usually hire mental skills coaches are either Olympians, military professionals, or military soldiers, college athletes, professional athletes, or people who have the means to do so. And it breaks my heart to know that there are other people who are out there who would love to have mental skills training, who would love to learn the principles of how the brain works to to optimize performance in whatever they do, but don't have the means, they don't have the opportunity. And so what I, the reason I started the podcast was for those people, were for the people who don't have the opportunities. And I said, you know what? I'm going to share with everybody everything that I teach to these elite athletes, and I'm going to do it for free every single day, every single day, and it's for free. You can have it. You can, so there's no secrets. There's no wondering, oh, I wonder what these elite athletes are getting. It's yours. Listen, if you just go and chime in and many times I'll get done with an athlete and we'll talk about something and I'll get on the podcast, I'll go to my car and I'll start recording to share with the world. This is what we just talked about. Obviously not names and not the context of the story, but the basic principle that we're talking about, the strategy that we use. And and at first, I never would have imagined I would have gone this far. I've been doing it for about three and a half, four years. And once I started getting emails from people, uh, people in their hospital beds, I got an email once from a father who had just, and his and a husband and a wife who had just lost their child. And they said that listening to a certain episode on a certain day while they just got word that they lost their, their newborn born child brought them a, a little bit of peace. That was earth shattering. That was earth shattering to me to think that, wait a minute, I, I wasn't, it wasn't intended for, for, for that. And to know that there are some people who aren't athletes, who aren't parents, who aren't coaches, but they just listen to it um, as they get ready for work, that inspires me. And uh, that's what keeps me going every single week, weekday. And that, um, and there have been moments where I've been like, oh, I don't know if I can do another one. And then next thing you know, I get a little message from someone. Thank you so much. They inspire me. And that's 
that that gives me a little more uh, inspiration and drive for the next uh, three months worth. And so uh, it's been it's been quite a journey. Well, could you give people, Justin, a little taste of what one of these bite size messages that you share on the podcast are like? Yeah, absolutely. I'm putting you on the spot, but well, absolutely. I think uh, I'll, I'll go today's for example. I'm sorry, we'll go we'll go Fridays. Fridays, for example, uh, this past Friday episode, I believe nine sixty three, talking about focusing on what you can control. And I know that's such a cliche, but I really try to operationalize and, and make it make it tangible. A lot of people, the reason they don't perform at the highest level is because they focus on things they can't control. And the, the, the axiom we talk about, the principle we say is that things you try to control but can't end up controlling you. And a lot of times the things you can't control are the past, is the future, or even other people. And you start comparing yourself to other people. And, and I always say that sometimes the worst thing is to compare yourself to your old self. I used to be able to fit in those clothes. I used to be uh, ambitious. I used to be a go-getter. And then we start to spiral downward. And in this episode, I just we do a little exercise where I have the, uh, the listener listen or listen, write down all the things that they can't control. What are these, these open tabs in their mind that they keep worrying about, but they have no control over? And then you write it down and you just put just almost you just they just expunge it from your mind and then to identify and to write down, okay, what can you control? And as you look at the two lists, you'll see that the list of things you can control is very small, a lot smaller. It could be your attitude, your efforts. It could be your ability to work with others, your, your outlook on things. Uh, and, but as you focus on that small list, you'll see that you'll be in a much better position to be where your feet are and perform at your best. And so uh, that's just a kind of a little example. That was just today. And it was only about three, three and a half minutes long, quick to the point. And then we're moving up, moving on to the next one. And so that was just a little example of one. I love that. Such a good thought. So I had the experience last week for those listening of interviewing one of Justin's three children, his youngest daughter, who is 11 years old and was just in a major motion picture. And I have to tell you, Justin, I was so impressed with her. <laughs> She's great. She is the most darling. I like was going around our office and letting people hear the audio clip because I was like, this is the cutest child. <laughs> um, but I was struck by how articulate she is and how, you know, for lack of a better term, you've written books about mentally tough teens. And I'm like, this is a mentally tough 11-year-old girl. And I've seen other things with your other children on Instagram and, and different things. But it's obvious that you have kind of taught them these principles and that they're applying them in their lives. For in your own home, what have you done to try to strengthen the mentality of your children? Yeah, well, first of all, I appreciate what you what you said about our kids. Uh, they're 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 too much fun. They're they're amazing. And uh, early on, my wife and I, Melissa, we did our best to really try to cultivate a home centered on the Lord, centered on the Savior Jesus Christ, and also uh, with this desire to water their ambitions, with this to help them to cultivate and to let their light so shine. And at, at a young age, we try to adopt these habits for them to really 
learn how to be the best version of themselves. So one of the things that my wife and I did when they were younger is to ask them three questions every day. Because we wanted, a lot of times we, we, when, when you talk about cultivating mental toughness or resilience, it comes down to awareness, a sense of awareness. Are you aware of decisions you're making? Are you aware of your outlook and how you're viewing things? And so the three questions we'd ask our kids every night before they go to bed is number one, what was the best part about today? And when you're asking two, three, four, five-year-olds, these, an- these answers are hilarious. But we wanted them to get used to learn how to look back in your last 24 hours and see the good. Because it's so easy to be negative. We wanted to teach our kids how to flex their optimistic muscles and to, to be able to hunt the good stuff because it's hard. It's hard in this day and age. We wanted it to help them learn how to do that early on. And so what was the best part about today? And then the quite second question we would ask them is, what was, uh, what was something you learned today? And we want them to help them learn from lessons. And, and we could have easily asked, what was, what was something you didn't do good today? But what we wanted to teach them is that you can learn from successes as well. Not only are you going to learn from your failures and learning from, from, from things that don't go well or go right, but you can learn from your successes. And you can learn from your brother and sister. And you can learn from other people. And so those, become, those were fun answers as well. And then the last one is, what are you going to do better tomorrow? My wife and I wanted to help them uh, just kind of be able to identify, okay, what, what, even if it's one little thing, one small percent, what can you do to be better tomorrow? And they would say things like, be nicer to my sister, be nicer to my brother, or be more obedient to mom. And, and you know what? They're not perfect. They're going to go and none of us are. They'll mess up and then we'll go and we'll recap it the next night. And, and I think that little exercise right there, one of the things that we, that one thing that we did really helped them. And again, I don't know. I don't have any scientific evidence to prove, but we really wanted to help them cultivate that. And that's just one exercise that we would do with them just to kind of help them with that. But, uh, but yeah, that's, we like to do some fun things to try to try to help them out. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that I love that because it's such a practical example. Why would you say, Justin, that it's important for parents? So I want to now kind of shift to us as adults. Why is it important for parents or adults in general to model the importance of mentality for the next generation? Yeah, that's a really good question because it, I believe it does start. It starts with mom and dad. It, one thing we learn about child behavior uh, growing up is kids don't create habits. They don't create their self-talk. They adopt them. They copy them. And so a lot of times a parent's response to stress becomes the child's response to stress. What a, what a, what a parent says to their child and the words they say to their child and about their child becomes ends up forming into the words that are the beliefs that the child thinks about themselves. And I, when I used to work with youth all the time, you would hear them say things about themselves or I'm, 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 I'm dumb. I'm bad at math. I'm terrible. I have a terrible backhand. I'm slow. I'm, I'm never going to get this. I'm like, where, 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 why do you say that? Oh, because uh, my uncle says that, or my mom says that, my coach says that, my dad tells me that. And, and they're not trying to throw their parents under the bus. They're being absolutely sincere. That's, that's just the feedback that they're getting. And so as parents, and again, it's so hard to be a parent. They, they're, we know we are not perfect and we mess up all the time. And there are moments where my wife and I are praying and I were thinking, please erase the memories of our kids so they do not remember how we just, how we were acting and how we were being. And I think that's huge. And I think another thing that we try to do as well, but for learning is learning to tell your kids, hey, I, we messed up. 
we are our fault. We messed up, but we are sorry. Uh, that was a bad example, bad, bad what we did. And so I think you, you're right with this question, uh, placing such an emphasis on it. And there's something called emotional contagion. Children will ca- catch the emotions of the parents in the room and they'll they'll adopt those same they'll learn those same neural patterns and and be, adopt those same beha- uh, habits and they'll perpetuate when they become parents and then they become parents and so uh, how parents think what they say how they act how we act and how we do that is 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 huge for the development of our kids that is so fascinating to me. I think that for me, I've noticed even as an adult, so I don't have kids. And first of all, when you were talking about how hard it is to be a, be a parent, I my heart just like goes out to parents. <laughs> I'm like, that is a tough job. You're on one, like 24 seven, you're never having off time. And, and your kids are looking at everything that you're doing. And there is, like you were saying, there's like a, a feeling in the room that's created. And so I think it's it's interesting to think about how a parent's behavior or or mood or whatever can affect a child. Yeah, and what and, and go along with that, what I love is so if there's a parent listening to this and they're thinking, oh no, I messed up. Or if there's someone who's listening to this and they think, Oh, okay, it's my parents. It's not me. And and and, and they're thinking, oh, now I, I'm I'm lost because I had a, a bad childhood growing up. That's why I'm so grateful for the gospel. Um, that's why I'm so grateful for the atonement. Is because if you're a parent and maybe you do want to make changes, yeah, we can study neuroplasticity. We can study the science and art of behavior modification and change. You, yeah, th- that's there. The science is there. But what's even more important, deeper, even in greater impact, is the gospel how the spirit can change hearts and, and the, the Lord can change you through the power of the atonement. You can be changed. And regardless of your upbringing, let's say you didn't have a good upbringing, didn't have a good environment. You can still be created. You can still evolve into and become the best version of yourself as you continue to live close to the gospel and, and allow the Lord to change you despite your difficult upbringing, despite uh, maybe your parents weren't the best examples, but you can still live a happy, fulfilling, a fulfilled life because of the gospel and, and because of, of our Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. I think that this topic of strengthening our mentality is of particular importance right now because I think there are so many things attacking our mentality. Social media, I feel like we bring up social media in every episode of this podcast, but I think it's because it's affecting every aspect of our lives and in particular, our mentality. So for those listening, Justin, could you give a few basics of how to strengthen your mentality? Yeah, yeah. I think I think if I can give just kind of a global umbrella principle, there's great research out of Stanford. Carol Dweck, Dr. Carol Dweck did it, and she wrote a book called Mindset. And and there's incredible research done on this that NFL uses, military uses, and it's very it's practical. It's very simple and easy to use. Basically, there are five principles that to cultivate the ideal mindset, a resilient mindset or, or a pliable mindset, however you want to phrase it. So number one, principle number one is basically learning from failure. To have the ability to learn from failure where this growth, these growth mindset individuals, they learn from failure as opposed to viewing failure as, as something that defines who they are. Uh, the second principle is the growth mindset person, they embrace obstacles, 
where the fixed mindset person, they avoid obstacles. They don't want the hard road because if they go and try to do the hard thing, failure is probable and they hate failure. And But the growth mindset person, they want to do the hard thing. They want to to embrace uh, adversity because they know they're gonna become stronger as a result of it. Uh, number three is, is effort level. Uh, the growth mindset person, they give their best no matter what. And sometimes your best is gonna look, it's gonna look different from day to day. Your best today might be not as good as your best yesterday or your best before, but they know that, hey, maybe all you have is 90% today. So just focus on the 90% you do have as opposed to beating up on yourself on this 10% you don't have. The next one is receiving feedback, uh, critical feedback. A lot of youth, this is when we talk about youth a lot, a lot of times, hey, mom and dad love you. They, you. The best athletes in the world, they have coaches, they get feedback. And to embrace it and to use it as an opportunity to learn as opposed to a signal that, hey, you're not good enough. A fixed mindset person, they ultimately don't believe they can change, which is why they struggle with feedback so much. And then lastly, which goes very well with this social media, what you're talking about social media, is the success of others, not being threatened or jealous by the success of others. And as opposed to learning from the success of others and, and applauding their success, but really essentially learning from it. What, what, what are they doing that I'm not doing? How, how can I be better? How can I take what they're doing and adopt it and make it become my own? Uh, but a lot of times in social media in particular is we compare other people's uh, highlight reel to our own reality. And sitting with a lot of athletes who have millions of followers and millions of dollars in the bank and, and people clamoring for them and thinking their life is perfect. I have a front row seat to learn that it's not. And, and they struggle and they have insecurities and they lack confidence. And, but you look at their Instagram page and you're like, wow, these people have the perfect life with the perfect marriages. And it's just not true. Myself included, we have so many rough days and, and, and bad weeks and, and marriage is difficult and parenting is difficult and kids are disobedient and you waver and you struggle and you fail. But as you hold to these principles of the growth mindset, it can help you navigate the storms of, of life, both um, in, in spirituality and in, in your work, in school, wherever you are. Yeah. I want to go back to one thing that you said in particular, Justin, which is that idea of when you have a day where you only feel like you have 90%. And that's something that I've been working on. This is going to sound weird, but I've been working on it in terms of my personal spirituality and scripture study. I think I used to have this mindset of you know, I want to study for a chapter a day or I want to study for 15 minutes and I'm going to read my scriptures for 15 minutes a day. And it was just kind of this box that I was checking off. And I've recently tried to shift that mindset and recognize that my main goal is to spend time with God Ooh. and to want to spend time with Him. And so some days I get home from work and because my job is faith-centered. Sometimes this is going to sound terrible, but I'll get home and I'm like, I can't read my scriptures right now. And so instead, I've tried to shift and cut myself some slack and recognize, okay, maybe right now it's a better idea to read a conference talk where I'll still get some scripture, but it won't be as uh, deep or I won't have to focus as much. And I think in doing that, it's created a joy again 
for me about that time that I'm seeking to spend time with God and strengthen my relationship with Him. And so I just wonder, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, that is, that's beautiful. That, what you just said. And it's, and it's so true. And I shared your sentiments when I was actually a seminary teacher, I felt the same way. And I taught the gospel out of the scriptures every day and thinking, oh, okay, I don't know if I want to read scriptures anymore. I, I, I taught it for a living every single day. And so as you mentioned that, I was just smiling and thinking, wow, you took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly <laughs> In in terms of what the, I love, what you said, and one of the things with that I've learned from these elite performers in the world is is it comes down to their habits, and sometimes it's just doing something. Uh, an, an object in motion tends to stay; st- it just stays in motion. Newton's law just stays in motion, and sometimes your motion is just a baby step. Maybe it's just one step. Maybe you can maybe you can run thirty feet one day, and you can just crawl the next day. But what happens is a lot of times beat up on themselves, and they think, "Oh, just because I can't read for fifteen minutes or an hour, oh, that okay, then I'm not going to do anything." You see this with a lot of people who with, with dieting as well. Oh, I, I took one bite of pizza. You know what? It's over. I'm just going to eat the whole thing. It's like, wait a minute, no, you could you could make the decision just to end with that one piece or maybe that one slice, and and that's it. But I think you are on the right track in terms of even if you just do one little thing. And one thing we always talk about is is little by little, a little becomes a lot. And it, you might read one verse, just one verse. But let's, how about you, you pull out as much as you possibly can in that one verse. It's on your mind. You think about it. You talk to your friends about it. Or maybe you write about it. And you're just chewing on it throughout the entire day. You get a lot more out of that one verse doing that the entire day as opposed to rushing through a just kind of being in and out, not fully invested in a 15-minute scripture study session, just so you can check the box, as you as you mentioned. And so I, I love what you said, because I think a lot of people experience that, whether it be in their spiritual life, in their fitness life, in, in work, or, or whatever it may be. But that's that's a great point. Even if you do a little bit, uh, that, that, that just staying consistent with that, it leads to a lot. Yeah. I think that's one way that faith is a kind of a testing ground for building a strong mentality. Do you have any thoughts on what role faith plays in cultivating this mental toughness? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because first of all, a lot of people ask what mental toughness is. Like what exactly is that? And for me, I think it's a it's a it's a number of different things. That mental toughness is motivation is in there, confidence is in there, resilience is in there, and different components of that. And so it's it comprises of a lot of different things. But I think faith in mental toughness, faith is as we know from the scriptures is believing things that that you cannot yet see. And that's a lot of times mental toughness. These athletes who I work with, they work so hard, they train so long, and they surround their lives around something that they can't really, they believe it. They know they can be the best in the world. They know they can win the championship. That's why they work so hard for it. However, they're hoping for it. However, they haven't experienced it yet. They haven't touched it yet. Some have won championships, but those who have not, they haven't experienced it. So they're working so hard for something, for that, that, that wonderful thing at the very end. But here's the cool thing that ends up happening. As they end up realizing, as they get lost in the journey, they find joy in the journey. They find pleasure in the process and power in the push. And I believe that's the same thing with the gospel as well. You end up, the reason we read scriptures and go to church and have family home evening and say our prayers 
a lot of times it's leading to eternal salvation. That's what we ultimately want. That's the prize. But as we, as we get lost in the moment and do it every day and find joy in it, you end up finding that the prize that becomes the prize, scripture reading and feeling the spirit, that becomes the, the, the prize. And you, you, you yearn for that. You, you want that. And as opposed to constantly questioning yourself and wondering, am I going to get there? Am I going to get there? Am I going to constantly checking your spiritual temperature? I, I think as you have faith in the process and do everything you can and, and build your life with these, these heavenly habits around you, you'll end up finding that you can be happy in the moment. You're going to find joy in keeping the commandments and doing what the Lord asks. And that becomes, uh, that's when the magic happens and, and when the spirit is filling your life and uh, it becomes uh, palpable and tangible and you wake up excited to do it the next day. I love that so much. That's something I am so passionate about is this idea of experiencing the joy of the gospel. And I think that you're right. Sometimes we get so caught up in what's the next thing that I have to be doing that we we don't even stop to to feel the the joy that can be found in it. And so thank you so much for sharing that. Before we get to our last question, I wanted to ask you one more thing in relation to the gospel. We talk a lot in the church about having standards and morals. And I feel like especially today's youth are coming up against a lot, but even even adults, I think even as adults, maybe we're coming up against even more than past generations have in terms of decisions where we have to be able to choose the right. How would you say that trying to work to build a, a resilient mentality helps us choose the right under difficult circumstances? Yeah, I, I love this this notion, that, uh, this, this, this correlation between faith and standards and decision-making. And ultimately, that's what the best in the world are able to do. They're able to make these difficult decisions under dire circumstances. And one thing that the Navy SEALs lives by is you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. And, or in other words, you sink to the level of your habits. And I truly believe, I'm a firm believer, the power of habits and cultivating habits that will help you make decisions and deciding early. And I think you're you're right with the world we live in uh, to create a set of non-negotiables for yourself. And one of the things that elite performers do at at every level in any domain is they have a game plan. They know how they're going to act and how they're going to be. They know who they are, first of all. They know their strengths, they know their weaknesses, and they know what they want, number two, and then they create a set of behaviors or habits around those things that will help keep them on track. And so someone who's listening to this, if, if, if you want to make better decisions in, in this world that we live in, that's where the line is starting to become blurred in, a certain, in certain places, what can you do to build your life? We get 86,400 seconds a day. 86 out of 4, that's it. And every day matters, just for today. All you can control is today. If you can build a life, a day, one day, on with habits that will help you keep things in perspective and help you keep things in track, what would those habits consist of? Where would you need to place them in your life? And as you do, and as you begin to execute those habits, and you want it to be easy enough where you can execute them. A lot of times people create these elaborate, hard-to-do plans and 
and they suffer paralysis by analysis. Now they don't do them because they've created this difficult task. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, whether it be prayer, scripture study, family prayer, whatever you need, the music you listen to, and then create those habits. And then which sets your mind up and your heart up to be able to to hold true to those non-negotiables, those standards that you set for yourself when adversity strikes. And you want to make these standards easy enough to where when you travel on vacation, when you go on a business trip, when you're, no matter where you wake up in the world, if you travel a lot or if you're sick or whatever, you can still execute the great majority of them. And so that's, that's the, that's what I would say uh, to be able to make good decisions in this very difficult time of life is to create a set of non-negotiables, identify who you are, Identify what your strengths and weaknesses are. What do you truly want? And then build some 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 habits around uh, your day every single day to help you win the day and to uh, put yourself in the best position to succeed. Thank you so much for sharing that. Before we wrap up, Justin, I just have one last question for you. And and before I say this, I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for sharing these things that you have worked so hard to understand and sharing them both today here with us and then also on your own podcast, because I think that's definitely helping people. But before we finish, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? When I think about all in, I think about no retreat. I think about being in it for the good and the bad when you're at your best and when you're at your worst. And uh, I think all in is, is, is doing your absolute best to be the best version of yourself, a version that's that's the best the best disciple of Jesus Christ you can. And it's going to look different for everybody, and it's going to be look different at different times of your life. But if you just commit to say, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can to be a disciple of Christ today, and I think your behaviors, your thoughts, your words will begin to flow from that. And I think that's what that's what all in looks like for me. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much. And we'll look forward to, to rooting for the Tampa Rays this year. Nice. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Justin. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Big thanks to Justin Sua for joining me on this week's episode of All In. To learn more about Justin, you can find him on Instagram or listen to his podcast, Increase Your Impact. We will link both of those in our show notes at www.ldsliving.com slash all in. Thank you so, so much for listening, for your ratings and reviews, and for sharing this podcast with your friends. We want to reach as many people as possible, but we can't do that without your help. So thank you, and we will look forward to next week's episode.